following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. In this series, Generations, that we've been in, We've been looking at how a life and a family impacted by God, touched by God, how that reaches out and sends ripple effects out to the generations. How God reaches out, reaches down, reaches through us to reach the generations that we know will not see and not be able to touch. I mean, this, this is an awesome prospect. It's, it's kind of scary. I mean, I'm actually a little intimidated by all of this. I mean, I've, I've been sitting where you sit this morning, and I've been confronted with this truth and challenged by this scary truth that God has given us both a responsibility to teach and an opportunity to impact. And, you know, this has kind of bubbled to the surface for me over these last weeks. Uh, the Trotta home now has four drivers in it. Um, my, my youngest, my daughter Mia, is now learning to drive. And uh, Dios, ayúdanos. Um, <laughs> Father, help us, literally. Uh, but she's been doing great. We're excited in this season. We're praying for health and strength and growth in this season. And my wife and I, we've been diligent teachers. We've, I think we've been faithful uh, to instruct her uh, properly in these really, really important things, in these ma- in important things that matter to her now. Uh, she's been driving now with her restricted license on city streets and highway roads in the rain, in packed parking lots. That was fun. Uh, but we've been teaching her, and I think we've been very faithful at doing that. And, and I've sat with her, and we've talked about, you know, safe following distances and, and, you know, minimizing distractions in the car and coming to a complete stop and using your blinkers and checking your mirrors, all of those kinds of important things. We've been teaching. She's done really, really well. Actually, we've gotten some help from a friend, a good friend of ours, uh, to help us make other drivers aware around us that, hey, you've got a brand new 15-year-old driver right in front of you. In fact, this is a picture of my wife's car. Uh, We've put these uh, rookie driver magnets on the back. of These are fantastic, aren't they? Um, So if you see this vehicle when you're driving this week in town or what have you, just, yeah, drive around them uh, or or let them go by. That would be great. Um, You know, the scary part, I thought, was going to be my daughter driving and me in the passenger seat holding on for dear life. Um, That actually has not been the scariest part. It's, it's when I'm driving and my daughter's in the passenger seat who now feels free to just call out my unsafe following distances. And every time I'm over the speed limit. And, and dad, did you come to a complete stop? I mean, did the car rock back at the stop sign? I mean, dad, did you know that, you know, if we're divided from the opposite flow of traffic by a five-foot concrete meeting, you don't actually have to stop for the school bus that stopped on the other side? I, no, I forgot. No, I didn't know. I, look, I've been driving longer than she's been breathing, and I'm intimidated by that. I mean, she's going to whip out a book and write me a ticket any one of these days coming up. Um, it, it's, it's scary, and it's funny, but you know, it's much more than that. My wife and I have been teaching and instructing her on these important things, on these really, really significant things, safety for her, safety for others. Some of these things may very well save her life and the lives of others. They, they might. I mean, they're that important. God has given us this responsibility to teach and this opportunity to impact. But far more significant than a driving lesson, God has given us this opportunity to teach and impact and influence generations eternally. You see, there's this flow. There's this, there's this, in families, there is a relationship and there is a flow and there is a pattern of a life following Jesus in families, that it's not just, you know, me or my wife or we're following Jesus, but my son and my daughter, they're following Christ. And, and by God's grace, 
their sons and their daughters and, and then their sons and their daughters and on and on it goes. There's that kind of rhythm and pattern in life. And God gives us this responsibility to teach the most important things, the things that matter most to our families and to our generations. So now we come inevitably to the difficult and the complex and the really hard question. You ready for it? How? I mean, how do we teach these things that matter most? I mean, how do we teach the kinds of things that reach out, reach down, reach through us and reach the generations ahead of us? How do we do that? You know, that's a, that's a great question because I don't, I don't think anybody here or anybody listening can kind of stake the claim that, you know what, man, my family, we have this on lockdown. I mean, my children are spiritual giants. I mean, every generation ahead of me is virtually going to produce theologians and change the world by wisdom the world over. I don't think we can make that claim. So we look at what God is doing and we're challenged by the fact that God says, wait, I've given you a responsibility to teach and I've given you an opportunity to impact. How do we teach these things? God calls us to use our lives and everything in them to teach our families about him. See, God calls us. There's this divine relationship between God and man. And he calls us to seize some moments and plant some other moments. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to see moments of spontaneity and moments of intentionality in teaching and leading in our families in these things that matter most. And this is for all of us. Whatever, whatever place you find yourself in, whatever stage of life you're in, grandparents and great-grandparents, parents of older children and younger families, parents of struggling homes, and even those that are not yet parents, families that are, that are distant and struggling, God is going to use this time, whatever time you have, whatever opportunities you have, God will use your efforts in this way. Blended families that don't have as much time with their children as some of us do, God will use your efforts in this way. You need only to seize some moments and plant some other ones. Now, if you're new to the Bible and you haven't really navigated that a whole bunch, a Deuteronomy is not hard to find. It's the fifth book from the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, if you're walking with the Bible and you've been in there a bunch, this still might be a portion that your pages are kind of stuck together. Uh, it's not an often visited book, uh, and that's to our detriment, by the way, because the truths that are found therein, they, they've set the tone, they've set the pace, they've set the rhythm for homes for generations behind us. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we'll be. Go ahead and meet us there if you would. Deuteronomy 6, and uh, as you're making your way there, let me just share a couple of things with you about the book of Deuteronomy. It's written by Moses. Um, it's actually comprised of four speeches that Moses makes to uh, remind the children of Israel to trust and to obey. The Ten Commandments are revisited in the book of Deuteronomy. The implications and instructions are there as well. God's faithfulness is all over the pages of Deuteronomy. And God, in chapter 6, is going to command Moses to do something. Something profound. And now we've heard a lot about Moses over these last weeks. We've been in Exodus. We've been in Numbers. Now we're in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses has written all three. Moses, the great leader of Israel, right? The shepherd of Israel, the fugitive, the desert wanderer. But all of those things, none of them as important as Moses loved God and he served God and he fought and wept for his people to do the same. And in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6 in particular, not only are we going to see the generational mindset of God, but we're going to see something just as important. 
God is going to give us very practical, very clear ways in which we are to lead and impact the generations and future ahead of us. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 4 through 9. I'm going to start in 4. We're going to read halfway through. Then I'm going to backtrack, and then we're going to hit verse 7. So meet me in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Moses starts them off with the great confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was the great cry of the people of God, the great cry of Israel. In fact, this was a declaration and a proclamation of the exclusivity and the unity of God. This was Israel's cry to the world that there's but one living God. So all of the other things that all of your other peoples worship, they are nothing but worthless, broken, and impotent creations of man. There is but one God. This was their great cry. So significant was this statement and these words to the nation of Israel that young men, even to this day in Orthodox Jewish homes, they are taught to memorize these words as soon as they learn to speak. That's how important this cry was. So God is teaching Moses to teach the people. There is but one God. To know God is to know that he is the one, the living God. And that's important because Moses is going to go now from the great confession to the great commandment. Look with me at verse 5 and see how Moses puts it. Verse 5 of chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might there in verse 5. Now, a lot has been made about that verse. A lot has been said about those particular, that terminology, heart, mind, and soul, and spirit, and strength, and those things. But suffice it to say for us this morning that what God is teaching is that we are to love God with everything we've got. We are to love him with with our whole being, our whole person, our heart, our mind, and our strength. We are to love God with that profound kind of love. Husbands and wives and families, we we get this. I mean, how do you you love your spouse? How do you love your wives and your husbands? Yeah, I love her. I love them. I told her I loved her when I married her, and if that'll change, I'll let her know. Is that... No, I mean, you want to pour your heart and your soul and your spirit into this relationship. You want to grow in intensity. You want to grow in intimacy. You want to grow in knowledge of one another. Love God that way. I mean, on this earth, nothing comes between husband and wife. Love God that way. Love God first. Love God preeminently. It is God, then your spouse, and then everything and everyone after that. It is that kind of profound love that Moses is teaching the people to love God with. So to know God is to know that he's the only living God. And because you know God that way, you are commanded to love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And because you know him and love him, now you are to, let's look at verse 6 and see how Moses rounds this out. Verse 6. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Now the first thing we want to notice about verse 6, it talks about these words. Well, well, what words are exactly are you talking about? Moses is referring back to earlier in chapter 6 where, where he talks about the commands and the statutes and the laws of God. Those words are to be written on your heart. I mean, this is a question of obedience. To know God is to love him in this way and to know him and love him is to be obedient to him. Obedience towards God is a reflection of our love for God. 
And now we know this principle. Moses announces it here in the Old Testament, but Jesus echoes this very principle in the New Testament. Jesus telling his friends, telling the disciples, if you love me, keep my commands there in John 14. And we understand this principle. We understand this dynamic of of how obedience and love are kind of woven together. We understand it in our home lives and our relationships. We certainly understand it at work too. You know, I, I became a Christian at the age of 30. Uh, so I, I, at the age of 30, I, I responded to the call of the gospel and I, and I trusted Christ with my life and I turned from my sin and I embraced Jesus by faith and I became a Christian. Shortly thereafter, at the age 40, I responded to the call of God in my life to be a minister of the gospel and I became a pastor. But before those things, I, I mean, I had several jobs. I had many jobs. I worked in corporate sales for a while, worked in retail. I worked in the hospitality, hotel industry. And invariably, you come across people that especially in retail and sales, you come across individuals that, man, I love my job. I love what I do. I I love this and I love that. Yet you're stealing from the organization. Or you're getting your buddy to punch a time card so you can get extra hours in. I mean, that's not obedience. Certainly not love. Their walk didn't match their talk. Let me tell you, if your walk walks differently than your talk talks, it's not obedience. And it's not love. You guys tracking with me on that? Good, because I don't think I can repeat that. <laughs> but you see the, the interwoven nature between obedience and love. It's, it's two sides of the same coin. They go hand in hand because we know God and we know who he is. We love him in the way we're called to love him and we're obedient to him. Now, verses seven through nine, now Moses is going to tell us what to do based on whom we know, whom we love, and whom we obey. Look with me at verses seven through nine. I'm going to read through that section, and then we're going to break up each verse, starting verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Yeah, it's kind of funny, actually. It sounds like what Moses is telling us is that we've got to teach our family these things. We've got to teach our children these things. Yeah, that's exactly what Moses is telling us. And now for all of us and for all of you and me that, that have ever said, God, I, I don't know how. I'm not a teacher. I am no spiritual leader. Man, we are so glad you are here. Because this is the beautiful thing about the scriptures. This is why we read the scriptures, because you don't know what you don't know. And right in the very center of our passage this morning, God is giving us very clear, very direct, very understandable ways in which we can teach and lead in an effective manner so that it reaches out and reaches through us to the generations, verse 7 through 9. And notice with me something else. In these three verses collectively, there's this word that sticks out to me, them. Write them. Find them. Teach them. What is the them in those verses? Well, that's referring back to the previous verse in verse 6. The them refers to these writings. And what writings is he talking about? Well, it's, it's the, the laws and the commandments and the statutes that Moses says earlier in the chapter, in chapter 6. So it's, it's write them and bind them and teach them and put those on the hearts of the people. That's what he's referring to. But notice something else with me in verse 7 in particular. Verse 7 has these two sets of opposites there. Do you see them in the text? Sit, walk, lie down, and rise up. These are the the spontaneous 
everyday events that we go through and that we all have in our lives. These are the unrehearsed and the impromptu. These are the unpracticed and the impulsive and the unplanned things in our lives. In those very things, God is saying, seize the moments and plan some other moments. In those unplanned, in those unrehearsed events in life, it is these things. Moses is being very uncomplicated here. He says basically, look, use anything, anywhere, anyhow, any way to teach your family about who God is. And Moses is using very familiar language, very descriptive language, sit, walk, lie down, rise up, easy to understand. I mean, you know what he's saying? He's saying when you drive your kids to school in the morning, pray with them. He's saying when you, when you have dinner with the family together, tell them how God was at work in your day, what you saw God do in front of you. Before you go to sleep at night, have each family member pray for someone in need. Let them see God dominate your life. This is how Moses is putting this in verse 7 in particular. Sit, walk, lie down, rise up. It's in the everyday rhythms, in the everyday moments to seize those moments. You know, there's something else there, though, in verse 8 and 9. Those verse 8 and 9 give us kind of a a different picture. Verse 7 talks about, you know, when you're driving your teenagers home from school. Now, what is the universal question that all parents everywhere ask their teenagers? There you have it. How was your day, honey? And what is the proverbial answer that every teenager gives to that question? Good. Fine. How was your day, honey? Good. Really? No, no, no. Turn down the radio, yank out the earbuds. Man, tell me how good your day was. What was good about your day? Address them. Engage them. Seize that moment. Right? These are the kinds of things that God is telling us, that Moses is instructing, these practical things. And if you don't have kids, you have, there might be children in your life, nieces and nephews and family members and close family members and neighbors. God is saying to use your life and everything in it to show them who I am, to teach them about me. Verse 7. Now, verse 8 and 9 give us a different picture. No longer in verse 8 and 9 do we see the spontaneous, but now we see the intentional. Now we see the deliberate, on-purpose acts that are planted, that are done, that are created so that God can impact that life and the life beyond those. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. We'll take them together. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So less familiar. Now, in first century Israel and even in Orthodox Jewish homes today, what they would do, they would take these verses quite literally. And they would actually fashion boxes, and in the boxes they would take little pieces of scripture, scrolls, and they would tie them to their arms or to their hand or to their forehead. This was a display of love. This was showing and putting God's word forefront, in front of them, God's presence before them always and everywhere. And moreover, they would also, they would take these same little boxes and fill them with scripture, and they would affix them to the doorpost and to the door frames. And family members, as they came in and out of the house, they would pass by and they would touch the door frame where the, where the scriptures were. Again, taking it quite literally, putting God's word, God's presence before them always. Moses is telling them, in every aspect of your life, use everything about your life to teach them about who God is. So they took those quite literally in first century Israel and in Orthodox Jewish homes today. For us this morning, as we look at that, Moses is writing the commands of God and basically gives us two things. He says, There's some moments to capture, and there's some moments to create. Seize the moment and plant the moment. Use everything about your life 
you have a responsibility to teach, and you have an opportunity to influence with the things that matter most. So back to our original question. How do we do that? How do, how do we influence our families with these things that matter so much? How do we do that? We seize the moment. You know, my, my, my children and I, we have, um, we have an issue. Um, it's kind of a big issue. We'll probably have to get some help for this at some point. Um, my kids no longer want to watch movies with me. It's hey, it hurts, man. It's, it's this big. They, you know, we used to, I take them to movies when we were younger, and I would we would go, and, and it was great. And I would I, after the movie, I, I would want to talk with them. I would want to ask them questions about the movie. So I would push for a conversation. You know, so what was the message of the movie? Because you know, every movie has a message, right? Good or bad, there's a message there. So what's the message of the movie, and what does God's word have to say about that? What did you see? What did you hear? What was said? And so, what does God's word say about that? And and how does that? How does scripture talk about that? And, and I would push and push and push for this conversation. It didn't go so well, um, obviously, because the next thing was like, Mom, will you take us to the movies? I mean, I have to ask for it for a birthday gift now to come to the movies with me. So it didn't go well, but, but I, was, I was seizing the moment. I was trying to lead my family, trying to teach my family, trying to, trying to seize that moment. Um, you know, today, some of you, some of you have a fantastic opportunity to seize Some of you have your children, you have your kids in our kids' ministry. And let me tell you, Jenna and Sandy do a phenomenal job here at West Pines loving and serving with their team, teaching your kids. So right now, as we sit together, your kids are hearing the gospel, they're studying Bible passages, they're memorizing verses, they're they're interacting with scripture, and there's a fantastic opportunity because they leave that and they get a piece of paper when they go home. And on there is the Bible teaching they talked about, a memory verse, some questions that are listed there. And what if you were to take that paper out at lunch today and ask your child about that study, about that story, and who was involved? What if you did that every Sunday? You would be leading your family. You would be reaching out to the generations and take a step back as you will watch God at work there. And those are fantastic opportunities that we have. And there are so many of these around us. So how do we do this? We seize the moments, and we plant the moments. Plant. Well, what, is, what does that look like? When my family was younger, I, I had no idea how to do this. I, I mean, we would want to have a family time together and then, you know, call it whatever you'd like, whether it's time with God or family worship or family devotion time, whatever you term that. I didn't know how to do it. And, and I mean, I was trying to get this right for myself, and now I've got to teach them? This is kind of hard. And I didn't know, so we tried everything. I mean, we would have, you know, we would do it on different nights of the week, and we would do it on different parts of the house, and, and you know, we would have DVD studies and prayer time studies and, and, and read books of the Bible together. I tried everything. I bribed them with ice cream. I did. One time, there was this massive banana split, and, and it was great, and I was ready, and never actually made it to Bible study because I ate it before it got there. But, but I was trying to lead my family, all right? I was, I was trying to plant that moment and lead that family. We would have Bible devotions, family devotion time after dinner, I mean, first of all, that was dumb because it's hard enough to get everybody at the dinner table on some nights anyway. And then at the end of dinner, you know, that last morsel of food goes in their mouth and they, and they want to dart out of the room, right? So I've got to have the Bible ready. So I had it ready, finished dinner, and I'd have the family members each read a couple verses. And then afterwards, I mean, so far so good, afterwards I would ask questions. So, you know, what was it about? And um, what did it mean? 
And invariably, man, most of the time I got that awkward silence, like crickets. That, see, nobody would say anything. That's what I got most of the time. So it was hard. But there were so many things, so many opportunities to try and plant and seize those moments. You know, my wife, she would have um, times with them in the morning before school that she would take out. There's 31 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, 30 or 31 days in a month. So every day with our children, she would do a proverb a day. Day one, proverb one. Day two, proverb two. And she had success with that. I don't know how. I had ice cream. She didn't. But she had success with that. Those are the kinds of things that, that we would seize the moments with and we would plant the moments with. For whatever you are, whatever stage of life that you're in, wherever you find yourself this morning, grandparents, talk to your grandkids. You know, young parents, talk to your younger children. Older parents, discuss this with your older children. Blended families that don't have as much time with their children. Use whatever moments you do have. Use what God has given you, and he will multiply your efforts in that area. We don't always get it right, but we do what we can do, and we leave the results up to God. God's in the business of handling the results. We do what we're called to do, and God handles the results. I've got a buddy of mine. His name is Mike, and he's, he's, he's a great guy, and he's a very thoughtful man. And I had asked him, I said, so, you know, what do you remember seeing your parents do that, that taught you about God? And he paused, you know, like he always does, and he said, you know, I always saw my dad reading his Bible. And now my son watches me read my Bible. I mean, that's fantastic. If you were to take that one action, if that one action were to be your legacy, if that one action were to be what you handed down, what was your kid's inheritance, do you know you could step back and like an earthquake, you would watch God shake the generations? He absolutely would with that one act. But you know what happens, right? I mean, you know what, what we do, and maybe some of your parents experience this, maybe some of your families have experienced this. I certainly have. This happens in churches and in ministries all over. We abdicate our role as parents. We, we kind of, we give up. Sometimes we just turn it over. You know what we say? We say, you know what? We'll just bring our kids and we'll drop them off with Pastor Justin in, in the youth worship and in the youth ministry and he'll teach them. We'll just drop our kids off to Pastor Justin and he will teach them all the spiritual stuff that they need to learn. And you're right. He will. He will teach them. He will love them. He will serve them. His team and him, they will impact those young people with the word of God. Absolutely. But where your assertion fails is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. Because those first five words there are, you shall teach them diligently. I mean, there's an imperative there. That's, that's you. That's me. That's us. That is our responsibility to teach and to influence with the things that matter most. And I wish we had more time to go into this, but that last word, diligently, that, that's an important word that has the sense of to sharpen, to hone, to make sharp. We are to make our family sharp by knowing God, loving him, and obeying him with these words as we influence them and the generations that come after them. That's what we're called to do. We're called to use our lives and everything in them to teach our families about God. And that's the very center of this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. One step. Some of you just need to take one step, the first step. Put one foot in front of the other, head down this path and in this direction, and that's victory. 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are saying, well, you know, look, look, I've done that Bible study, and I've been to that teaching, and I've heard that pastor, and I've, I've read this, and we've done that, and that's fantastic. Praise God that you've done those things. May this rekindle a fire in your heart and in your spirit to teach, to seize, to capture, and then to influence, to plant, and to send out that so that it impacts the generations ahead of you. But for some of you this morning, it's just that first step. You take that first step, which is victory we look at what that is, capture the moments and create other moments. You know, for some of us this morning, it's, you might think, you know, things just haven't turned out the way I hoped. Um, time has passed and seasons have, have gone and opportunities have been lost. But that's the beautiful thing about our God. He's a God of new beginnings. He's a God of new beginnings. If you were to take that one step this morning, if you were to say, you know, I'm going to worship God with everything I've got. I'm going to love him with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my spirit, and I'm going to teach my family to do the same so that the generations in front of me are impacted and influenced and changed. You have the opportunity to see that and begin that and be the catalyst for that generational shift in your families right now today, today here. Before lunch, you can begin to see the ripple effects go out. Before dinner time tonight, you can begin to see this generational shift in your family towards Christ. Wherever you find yourself, it takes that first step. To love God this way, and you know it's hard, I know. And I would tell you it's impossible without the presence and power of Jesus in your life. Because it is Jesus, in fact, that changes lives. It is the gospel, in fact, that not only changes hearts and lives and people, but changes generations. We need only to turn to it. We need to trust in what God is doing. We need to believe and trust in what Jesus has done. And this is why God sent Christ to renew, restore, rebuild that broken relationship, that torn and shattered relationship between God and man so that we could be drawn to him and used to influence not just our children, and their children, not just our nieces and nephews and our grandchildren, but the generation that comes after them, and the one that comes after them, and the one that comes after them. This is how God reaches the generations. And for some of us this morning, we've been walking with the Lord for a long time. You've, you've got a relationship with God. You're tracking with me every step of the way this morning. Praise God for that. Continue to seize moments. Continue to use the opportunities that he lays before you to trust him and move ahead, to do what you're called to do and trust God for the results. For others of us this morning, you've got to take that first step to trust in Christ. Because to know God and to love God in this way is to trust in his son and to know his son and to turn to his son. And you can make that decision today. God is reaching out to you. The scriptures are calling to you to reach back out to him and put your faith, put your hope, and put your trust in the one whom God has sent, not just to change you and to save you, but to change and save every generation after I'm going to ask you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray in just a moment. But I would, I would tell you that, that what the Bible says, what the scriptures call us to do, is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that will save you. I mean, I don't know where many of you are in your walk this morning. I don't know where you are in your relationship to God. But I know how you can leave here. And that's business between you and the Lord so we're going to pray together, and you can pray with me. And if the genuine cry of your heart 
is to turn your life over to Christ and accept that free gift of salvation that he gives right now, then you not only will change yourself, God will change you, God will change your generations to come because he's working in you. Please pray with me. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, Lord, I need you. There is a, a, a deep, profound sense that, that I need you to be at work in my life. And, and I want to forget and turn from all the stuff that I've held on to, all of the things I've depended upon, all of the, the, the stuff that I was trusting in. I want to know you as the only living God. I want to love you with my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to obey you in what you've called me to do. I trust in your son, Jesus, right here, right now. I believe in his life and his death and in his resurrection for me, cleansing me of my sin, opening up the gates of heaven for me. I trust in that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.